we're going to be doing a par- the parable of the ten virgins. And the, the main theme that you're going to get out of this, I'm going to, I'm going to get into the nuances of it as we usually do, but the name, main theme is to watch and be ready. You as the body of Christ are to watch and be ready, and I add the tag warn, to warn people about what's coming, the changes that we see in our world today. And I think you guys have all been trained and you've been very good at that, but that's what we're called to do. Watch, be ready, and warn. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. Matthew 25, 1 through 13, be ready, parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came and also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is the word of God. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. Now, I ask you, Father, that each one of us will set this world aside for just a few minutes, that we allow the Spirit of God to speak to each one of our hearts. I ask you to touch each person in here in their area of need. Lord, we need you more than we need anything in this world. Fill us with your presence today. Speak to our hearts, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. We've been going through the Olivet Discourse, and if you remember, the Olivet Discourse is Tuesday. It's Tuesday of the week that Jesus dies. Remember, he dies on Good Friday. This is Tuesday, and it's actually Tuesday evening that he's giving this discourse. It's the fifth discourse or the fifth sermon in the book of Matthew. And it's prompted by the disciples asking two questions. When will these things be? He's talking about the temple being destroyed and Jesus coming back. And what will be the sign of your coming? And then he goes, and from Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, and through verse 35, he talks about the tribulation period and the nation of Israel and the primary purpose of the tribulation being for the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to remember and never forget, because we're going to be going away from this very soon, the prophetic stuff, because we're going to be getting into more the Jesus' last few hours on earth, and, and we're going to be transitioning from here. But please remember the whole purpose for the tribulation, and the tribulation, remember, is the worst time on the history of the planet. There will be no time worse than the tribulation period. It'll be so bad, Jesus said, lest these days be cut short, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be cut short. You need to remember that that 70th week of Daniel, remember in Daniel chapter 9, 24, 70 weeks are given to your people and your holy city. And that would be the Jewish people and the, nation, and the city of Jerusalem. 
to finish six things. Six things that Messiah would have accomplished had the Jewish nation received the Messiah. They rejected Messiah at the 483-year mark. So that 70-year prophecy is 70-week years, 490 years, for you have been here. We've been through this many, many times. They did not finish the last week. Time stopped for the Jewish people at the 483-year mark, and then the church age started. And that's where we are in the age of grace now, where it's salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ. And this is the time to get saved, folks. This is a time when the Spirit has been poured out on every single person. It's a unique period of time that you can believe and receive the gift of salvation. That last week has yet to be completed. It's a whole week. It's seven years. How do we know it's seven years? There's one place in Scripture and one place only that mentions seven years, and that's Daniel chapter 9, 27. He shall confirm a covenant with the many for the one week. Remember, that's week years, so that's seven years. That's the seven-year tribulation. Now, I have an overhead here. Again, you've seen this before. This is a little different version of it, but it, they're all similar. I believe we're right here, right on the precipice of the rapture of the church, right on the precipice. That's What happens to us after the rapture is we experience the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to hear more about that in this teaching. Then there's the marriage ceremony with the Lamb. The three and a half and three and a half years, the tribulation period is broken up into two three and a half year segments. Jesus calls the first three and a half years the beginning of sorrows. The reason he does so is because the nation of Israel isn't being pinpointed for disaster at this point. The last three and a half years, the great tribulation, the Jewish people will be the focus of Antichrist, and he'll try to kill every Jew on the earth. That is his goal in the last part. In the first part, he's friends with Israel, allows them to build their temple, establish worship and that sort of thing. In the middle of this thing, he turns on everybody. The abomination of desolation, that statue that the, that the false prophet uh, generates to be worshipped, a, a false prophet generates the picture of the Antichrist to be placed in the Holy of Holies and the worship of Antichrist as God commences. And there's an insistence that everyone take the mark of the beast at that time. If you do not take the mark of the beast, then you're going to be killed. So that's where we've been in the past. Please try to remember this because we are entering into that time period where I think the tribulation is right on the corner, right on the corner. So thinking about the tribulation, Jesus in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, receives a scroll receives a scroll. I have a picture here of a handoff of a scroll. And what's happening here is that Jesus is receiving the scroll from Father's hand. This scroll is the deed to planet Earth. It says this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 7. He came and he took, the word is lambano, or to receive the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And this is the tribulation scroll. Within that scroll, you see seven seals. Within those seven seals scroll are all of the tribulation judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgment, and the bowl judgments. And Jesus is undoing each one of these seals and then each one of these trumpet judgments and each one of these bowls as he is exerting his wrath on planet Earth, on the Earth dwellers and the Antichrist system. And he is taking back what has been taken from humanity, and that's Satan has usurped power and control of these, this world kingdom. 
Remember, every human that is born into this world is born into the kingdom of darkness and must be forcibly extracted from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the Son of His love, the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens the moment, the instant you say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I place my trust in you. You are my Savior. Jesus is the only one that could open the scroll. And again, all the judgments are contained within this scroll. In Revelation eleven fifteen, there's an absolute critical moment that happens. Jesus makes a declaration of finality in this seventh trumpet area. He says this, the seventh trumpet sounds, and there's a pronouncement that is made. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign how long? Forever and ever and ever. Now, that's important because there's not going to be any other Gentile kingdoms that are coming up. Jesus' kingdom is going to be an eternal kingdom. Remember Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called what? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then he says these words, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And he closes that section with the zeal of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, Jehovah Sabaoth. He will accomplish this. This is a fait complete that earth is being taken back. The kingdoms of this world will now be ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole tribulation period culminates with him coming back and having his rule. Now, Jesus in his teaching is teaching us things to look for before this tribulation period. We're in a section now where he's talking about parables. And each one of the parables that we've gone through and the ones that we will go through today and, and next week have to do with watching and being ready for this kingdom coming that he's going to establish on earth. So the 10 parables, excuse me, the 10 virgins are the parable we're studying today. Watch and be ready. Now, I want to explain something to you. When you're looking at parables, there's umpteen different interpretations of parables. When you're doing a study, this person believes this, this person believes this, and you're trying to understand what God wants us to believe. Well, there's no difference here with the, with the 10 virgins. Many people believe it's the church that is the subject here. Many people believe, no, 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 it's not the church, it's Israel. And there's a many people that believe, no, 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 it's de just dealing with unbelievers in the tribulation period. Arnold Fruchtenbaum makes this statement. The contrast is not between two types of believers, whether it's Israel or the church, but it's between believers and unbelievers in the tribulation period. And I kind of lean towards his view on this. This is about believers. This is Jew and Gentile at the end of the tribulation. Do they have the oil of the Holy Spirit or do they not? Do they look like they have the Holy Spirit, but indeed are not genuine? And that's what the whole thing is going to be about today. It starts in verse 1 and 2. Surprise. This was a surprise to me because when I've gone through this, when you're blasting through the scriptures, it's easy to miss the points that you're supposed to get. Well, these ten virgins are not the bride. 
In my mind, they are not the bride, and I think we can prove it, that they are not the bride. Verse 1 and 2. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the singular bridegroom. Not ten bridegrooms, one bridegroom coming for a bride that has ten bridesmaids or virgins that were going to have an assignment to do in this bridal process. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, why do I say I don't believe they're the bride? Because I believe the bride is in heaven prior to the second coming of Messiah. In my mind, the bride has been raptured before the tribulation period. Now, again, we're going to go through very briefly the Galilean wedding ceremony. You've heard this several times in the last few weeks. But you know what happens. At first, the parents arrange the marriage. They bring the couple together, under the, with the consent of the couple, by the way. The bride is then given the cup. If she drinks the cup, she has the, the ability to say, no, I don't want to be part of your family. Just like we have the ability to say, no, I don't want to be a part of your family, Jesus. Don't want to be a part of your family. She drinks the cup. And then what does the bridegroom do? He goes to father's house. He then commences to adding on to father's house, to building a place for his bride. Let me, interse let me just intersperse something here that I think is really, really essential. No bridegroom is ready to take care of his bride until he can prepare a place for her. You're not going to, the bridegroom has a responsibility to support his bride and to have a place for her. If you can't do that, you're not ready to get married, period. Does everybody, just nod if you, under, you understand. Yes, that, that's the way it is. Now, while he's away, watch, the bride, the bride, what does she do? Well, that length of time proves her virginity. She's been, her, her, her main job is to be loyal to the bridegroom while he's away. She has many things that she has to do in the process, but the main thing is that she watches and is ready because she does not know when that bridegroom is coming. Now, you know that an unannounced time, father inspects the work and releases the son. That's why the scripture said no, no one knows the time when Jesus was returned, not the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father only. It's a picture of the Galilean wedding. The son then is released to pick up his bride. He goes and fetches his bride. And it's usually in the middle of the night. That's why the bridesmaids have lamps. They have lamps. And so that's what, so he goes back and he fetches his bride at this unannounced time. The bride is then escorted to father's house. This is an interesting picture here. She is lifted up on this, on this thing with, with poles on it and she's carried away and they have a saying for this. It's called flying the bride to father's house. Let me ask you what's going to happen to you at the rapture. You're going to be flying, the bride is going to be flying to father's house. You know how fast that's going to happen? Yeah, one six billion. A, a twinkling of an eye. A twinkling of an eye. Boom, you're there, it's done. I mean, it's not going to be like, you're, not, you're going to take in the scenery as you're going through heaven. You're just going to be here, there, here, there. You're not going to go past Mars and past Venus and, and say, oh, that's cool. That's, no, you know, you'll pass all that. Pass all that. So she gets to Father's house, 
And there is where the marriage ceremony takes place. The marriage ceremony. It's not the celebration. The celebration takes place after the ceremony. This is where the marriage is consummated. Now, with that stated, the bridesmaids, the virgins, would be waiting to take the, the taking part in the wedding banquet, which is the supper. Now, bear with me with this, because this is different than something I've thought in the past. So, so the supper, it's not... The wedding banquet, the marriage supper, not the marriage ceremony. The marriage ceremony was between the bride and her groom, Christ, exclusively. Exclusively, the church. The marriage ceremony between Messiah and his bride, the church, takes place in heaven. So, you believed in Jesus. This section believed in Jesus. This section believed in Jesus. You are the bride of Christ. You have placed your trust in Jesus. The question is, do you have the oil of the Holy Spirit? You're going to have to ask yourself that. We're going to go through that more in a second. It's one thing saying something, and it's another thing it actually being true. And I think there's a way you can know that you're the bride. Now, Revelation 19, 6 through 9, says the following. Now, follow closely with me. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. There's a lot of action going on in heaven like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. You know hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh for our God, Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her. Now watch what this is. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel says something different, something different. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I believe that's the celebration. And he added, these are the true words of God. Now I want you to pick up on something here. The bride has made herself ready. Let me ask you, did you save yourself? No, Mr. Gorm, no, you did not save yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ saved you, plucked you out of the kingdom of darkness, placed you into the kingdom of the son, of his, of the, of his son and he has saved you. He has done all the work for you. But this is not talking about that. What's he talking about? The righteous acts of God's holy people. Now, I want you to think about this. The bride has two sets of clothes. Number one set, the moment that you believed in the Lord Jesus, you were clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. That's justification. But remember on that slide, the first thing that happens after we're raptured, we appear at the Bema Seat judgment to receive rewards or loss of rewards crowns, and that sort of thing. That is what is called clothed with the righteous acts of the saints. That's at the Bema Seat judgment. The believer is clothed in fine linen after the Bema Seat, then marriage with the Lamb. Now, let me go through this again so everybody has it. Stay with me. Some believe the marriage supper is for the bride, and that's what I always thought all this time until I got to this study this time. So if you heard this in the past, this is what I taught until this time. And some believe the marriage supper is for the guest. 
I take the view that the marriage supper is for the guest after the ceremony with the bride. Now, you don't have to believe that. That's okay, because a lot of people don't. So just stick with that. So blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bridesmaids, the virgins are Old Testament saints and tribulation saints, Jew and Gentile. They're called to the celebration, not the marriage ceremony. See, you're the bride of Christ. You're special. You don't know how special you are. You are so special. Jesus has selected you out of, out of all this epoch of time, and you're going to be part of, a, of the wedding with him exclusively. Not the Old Testament saints, not the tribulation saints. They're invited to the celebration because they believed in Messiah, okay? But they're not part of the, of the wedding. They are not wed to Christ. Only the church is wed to Christ. So that's a very important thing to remember. And now in review, the ten virgins are not the bride. And again, many believe they are the bride. I do not think they are. But it's okay if you believe they're the bride. Go down that road. I believe that it's easy to confuse the marriage supper, the celebration that happens afterwards, with the marriage ceremony. But I believe there is a difference. Remember today, there is a marriage ceremony that precedes the celebration. Eating and rejoicing with the couple. Now, the main point of this is, we're going to get to the main point right now, all that preliminary stuff. Verse 3 through 5, oil or no oil makes an eternal difference. Do you have the oil of the Holy Spirit or do you not? That's really the question here. So 3 through 5, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now notice this. Don't miss this. All ten had oil. All ten were bridesmaids. All ten had an assignment to be part of the wedding party, to light the way for this procession to go from the bride's home to the groom's home where the marriage was consummated. All of them had a role. It seems the bridegroom delayed. The bridesmaids got sleepy. No problem there. They went to sleep. No problem there. Their lamps were small. They contained a little bit of oil. And all these Jewish women, they knew what was required. And they knew the, the little oil they would have in the lamps. And they should have some lamps, or excuse me, should have some oil spared. They should have had some set aside for when it goes out, so there would be ready. And I just have a picture of a lamp here in that time frame, the little pot of oil, and it goes, goes through fairly quickly. So the wise took extra oil just in case, just in case. And the foolish did not take extra oil. Now, don't miss this. The word foolish is moros. It's where we get our word moron, okay? Willfully foolish they knew better and did not take the extra oil. They were not prepared. They knew what the requirements were. They knew what, exactly what the whole Jewish thing was about. Jesus tells us, you know what the requirements are to go to heaven. You know, I've told you over and over, you must have the Holy Spirit to be truly in the family of God. So, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is this. Does this tell us that one can run out of the Holy Spirit 
I don't believe so. I believe what is being taught here is the wise were the ones who believed and trusted and always kept a supply of oil present. They were the true believers. The true believers, the unwise, the foolish, the morons did not have oil that sustained. I know that's a cruel word, but willfully did not uh, follow the requirements. Both groups looked like bridesmaids. Couldn't tell the difference by looking at them. Thought they were bridesmaids. But the only ones that were, were the ones that had a constant supply of oil. This tells me something. And you know where I'm going with this, because I've been here many, many times. Many appear to have the oil of the Holy Spirit. Many people don't look like they have the Holy Spirit, but really have the Holy Spirit. Okay? So some people talk like, sound like, seem like they're true believers, but they are not. No Holy Spirit, folks. No genuine salvation. Talking means nothing. Being obedient to Jesus means everything. Okay? Romans 8, 9 expresses this clearly. Clearly. Watch what he says. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. There's no equivocating here. The Holy Spirit is teaching us through Paul exactly what it takes to be saved. You must have the Holy Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are called sons of God. And that word sons is not a technon, natural born person, or a nepios, a, a little baby, but a son is a huios, a huios. That is a mature son taking on the characteristics of our father, our heaven, not your earthly father, your heavenly father. Okay, so that's the picture here. So how a person lives, folks, is an indicator of genuineness. Now, I missed the section here, Maritza, so hold on. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are sons of God. How a person lives is an indicator of genuineness. And you might ask, really? And I'm going to say, really? Really? Now, I want you to think about something. Again, no oil. No Holy Spirit, no salvation. But this is very important. This is very important. This is a message from God to you. Not a message from God to you to look at somebody else and say, oh, you don't have the, you don't have the oil. I'm making a judgment here. So this is very important. We are not to judge someone else's, whether they have the oil or not, the Holy Spirit. God is the judge, and folks, he knows who are his. And then he goes on to say in Timothy, he who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Must, must. It's a requirement. It's a requisite. So what are we to do? Each bridesmaid, remember, are responsible for themselves. You are responsible for yourself. You can't piggyback on somebody else and say, well, my my parents are Christians, so I'm a Christian. We're just all Christians. Oh, no, it's an individual thing to come into the family of God. Each person must examine their own lives, 
test yourself to see if you are genuine. Now, again, this is a verse we've gone through many times. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves. Not examine everybody else, but examine yourself whether you are in the faith or not. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Disqualified. That word examine means this. To try to prove whether good or evil. The test word is dokimozo. Dokimozo. And it means approved as genuine. Approved as genuine. Dokimos. Genuine. Remember the vase. We had this illustration of the vase. The time of Jesus. And people would try to have cracked vases and fill them with wax. And they'd hold it up to the, to the light. And the light would reveal whether there was cracks in the vase, whether it was genuine or not genuine. Our lives are held up to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we genuine or not? Do we have the Holy Spirit or not? That is what is at issue here. And then he says, unless you are disqualified, a docimos, not genuine, not true, not real. Very important to examine your life. Five bridesmaids thought they were okay. And they were not. Then the moment of truth comes. The midnight hour. The shout. Verses 6 through 9. And at the midnight. Usual time when the bridegroom would come back. A cry was heard. Behold the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose. Trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise. Give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying. No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So, this magic moment comes, okay? This magic moment comes. And it will come. The time had come. The cry went out. You can just hear that. This is the anticipation, man. When they heard that cry, those, that, that bride heard those bridesmaids, they're on alert. The bride is on alert. They went out, they heard the the shofar sounded, the groom was coming to fetch his bride. This is the reason, now bear with me here, this is the reason that many view the Feast of Trumpets as the rapture, Jesus coming to fetch his bride. It has everything to do with the Galilean wedding ceremony, coming back in an unknown time, coming to fetch his bride. Rapture on the Feast of Trumpets Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's something to think about. Every fall, I get very interested in these fall feasts because of this issue. Now, I want to give you an overhead here, and I want to go through this with you. Jesus fulfilled the feast days. Now, we know that the first four spring feast days have been fulfilled. Jesus died on Passover, was buried on unleavened bread, and raised on first fruits, fulfilled by Messiah. Pentecost was the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now the period of time elapses until the fall feast. These have not been fulfilled yet. Now, the way that I've always viewed this is the Feast of Trumpets could be the rapture of the church. Now, Amir Sarfante, somebody that we listen to very closely, he believes that this is not the rapture of the church, that when this Feast of Trumpet comes, this is the second coming of Messiah, 
that the Jews repent 10 days later. Remember, this is a 10-day period of time in preparation for atonement, the 10 days of awe. And on the Feast of Atonement is when the nation of Israel nationally repents. An atonement has been made. They accept the atonement that Messiah has made for them. And then everybody agrees that the Feast of Tabernacles is the millennial reign, or booths is the millennial reign of Christ. If you remember, in Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John are on the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus transforms himself. He kind of opens himself up, and you have this resplendent light going through, and Peter, James, and John go into this, oh man, this is, this is, should we make some booths for you, Jesus? This is it. This is the Feast of Tabernacles right here. The kingdom is coming right now. That's what they thought. That's what they thought. So this fee, everybody's in agreement with this Feast of Booths and that sort of thing. Uh, whether, look, at, I believe that the rapture is imminent, meaning to me that it can happen on any day. But I have to confess, when these feast days come, I get on alert and go, oh, Lord, maybe this is the day. See, all through the week, August the 2nd, I'm not thinking like that. I mean, I'm just hoping that it comes. Or March 4th on my birthday, I'm thinking, I, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about my cake or something. I, but I'm telling you, when it gets to September and October, I'm getting interested. I'm getting interested. Now, again, it's, I believe the rapture is imminent. So, with that stated, 10 bridesmaids lit their lamps. 10 bridesmaids had adrenaline pumping excitement palpable. This was their moment to escort the bride and the groom to father's house. Five of them, their lamps went out. Now watch what happens. They're friends that they have been bridesmaids with all their lives. Okay. They didn't have any oil. And so they asked for oil. Give me some of your oil at this critical moment, this life and death moment for them, actually. To their amazement, the five with the oil say no. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. The five with no oil, they went to purchase the oil, and they missed the procession back to Father's house. Now, something significant happens here because they're too late. Verse 10, five were too late. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The crux of the whole matter, the whole matter, the main point of the parable, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, to the celebration, and the door was shut. Now, I want you to think about something. There's something that happened in history like this. Remember the ark. God had Noah build an ark in the middle of the desert. Everybody thought he was crazy, saying that God was going to do something great. Everybody looks at us like we're crazy because we say this is the season for Messiah to come back. And they think that we're off and they think we're crazy. But listen to what happened. Noah was put into the, he got, he got the animals, they went into the ark, and I can't understand this for the life of me. Two animals of every species is walking through those villages, all going to the ark, all marching up the ark, 
no problems, wouldn't you think that would get the attention of the people that are around them? They don't, they, they still think he's crazy. Folks, we have so many signs today, and it's like we're marching up the ark, and the animals are marching up the ark, and people look at us, you're crazy. Hey, when they say that to you, you know you've done your job. You know you've done your job, okay? So just hang on to that thought. They were seven days. Actually, God put them in the ark, and it was seven days they were in the ark, and then he closed the door, and then the floods came. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? There will be a time when only, when there'll be, all the second chances will be done, and God will shut the door to salvation. Judgment will take place, and folks, when God judges, it will be just, it will be thorough, and it will be with finality, with finality. There will be no appeal. There will be no appeals to this judge. Jesus said something very profound in John 3.17. Now, if you know John 3.17 is preceded by what? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Every human being is savable if you just believe and receive the gift of salvation. And then Jesus says these words. Now watch this in 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came on a mission of rescue to save humanity from hell, a separation from God forever. God's heart, folks, is that people turn and live. Ezekiel 18.23, mentioned it many times. Does God have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish, but that they turn and live? 2 Peter 3.9, screams of long-suffering of God. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is the heart of God. That word long-suffering is macrothumia where we get our word thermometer, slow to heat up, slow to become angry with people. There's also a word, hypomone, that means slow to become angry with circumstances. The believer in the fruit of the Spirit gets long-suffering, macrothumia. You know you're starting to grow in Christ when you are patient with people. As a believer, you're going to be patient with with circumstances too, but specifically that fruit of the Spirit is macrothumia, patient with people. Verse 11 through 13, the saddest words in history ring out, I never knew you. All these people, these bridesmaids, they thought they were in. I never knew you. Afterward, the virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Horrible. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The plea went out. The plea went out. The cry went out. You can just hear the passion, the emotion. Lord, Lord, open it. Open to us. Open to us. And you know the word, kurios, kurios, master, 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 ruler, owner. Open the door to us. We're part of this. 
You can feel the desperation. The panic is setting in. Why isn't he opening the door? Why can't I get into the wedding celebration? Why am I locked out? And then I think you start to do some introspection. I thought I was a good person. Let that resonate for a moment. How many people do you talk to and you ask them the D. James Kennedy question, why, why should I let you, to get to heaven, God would say, why should I let you into my heaven? And most people say, I'm a good person. I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff. I did a lot of religious stuff. The religious stuff won't save you. I went on mission trips. I gave a lot of money. I was a big giver. I was a big giver. That's a big, you know, no, that's not going to save you. I did not smoke or I did not chew or I did not run with those who do. I did all this stuff that I thought was great and wonderful and terrific, but did not know the master. How tragic. It's always been an eye problem, folks, the things that I have done. Remember, it's everything that Jesus has done for you. You just receive the gift. Salvation is so simple. You believe and receive the gift of salvation and then you're saved. Then you're saved. The pathetic cries were to no avail. And remember, I believe that hell is full of pathetic cries. It's not, it's not as though the five did not know. They knew what was expected. Folks, we know what is expected. People know intuitively that there is a God. God has written his law on the hearts of people. He has given every human a conscience. And he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. God has revealed himself, and I believe he comes to every person and gives them a chance to believe or reject him. The cries went out. And folks, with knowledge comes responsibility. Watch and be ready. Have your lamps trimmed. Jesus' response is chilling. Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. I mean, that, would that, that is the most crushing, eternal, damning thing that you could ever hear. No Holy Spirit, no knowing you. And then Jesus ends with this warning. And, I, and this, this, should go out, this should actually go out over the airwaves. Well, I guess they are to some extent. But I mean, I mean, like on the evening news, okay? Watch, therefore, America. Watch, therefore, Australia and Europe and all, all the continents in the, in the world. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. But we know he is coming. We know he is coming. Closing thoughts. No matter how you view these participants, whether they're the church or whether they're Israel or believers or unbelievers, the crux of the matter is watch and be ready is Jesus' theme. That is his theme. There's never been a time like today, folks, to watch and be ready. To watch and be ready. This is not time to be complacent, lazy, apathetic, or in denial of what's going on around us. Jesus is coming back. Now, I believe this parable is directed to the, it speaks of the tribulation saints. Directed to tribulation Jew and Jew and Gentile. But folks, there is a message here strong and clear for the church today. Strong and clear. Throughout history, the church was always called to be, watch and be ready. Always. 
Look, the disciples were told to watch and be ready. The early church was told to watch and be ready. All through the epochs of time, the church was to watch and be ready. And remember, each person, I'm going to give several each persons here because it's individual. Those lamps, that oil was individual. You had to have individually the oil. Each person must deal with Christ individually. Each person must be engaged in the master's work until he comes for us. He's going to be judging your work, not comparing you with somebody else, your work. Each one must be engaged with the master's work. Each person must have the Holy Spirit to be true, receive the gift of salvation, to live here as kingdom of God people in a world that is contrary to God. That's what you're called to do. And each person that says yes to Jesus has been taken from the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of light. Each person is to live differently. Folks, when you come into the family of God, said this a lot of times, different king, different kingdom, different values, different worldviews, different way that I'm interacting with my world around me. Very important concept. Whether Now listen to this. Whether you go in the rapture, that's what we all want to go into. None of us want to go through the process of death. You know, when you talk to a believer, it's not so bad dying. It's the process that we're concerned about. It's that miserable process that people go through in death. But as believers, we know that we, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have incredible hope, incredible hope. Whether you go in a group rapture of the church or an individual rapture, what I call an individual rapture, where he comes for you individually, okay, no matter what, you're going. You're going. Just look around. Look around. Everybody's leaving here. Nobody's going to stay here. Every human being on this planet, about 8 billion of them right now, they're all leaving. They're all leaving. You're going someplace. Someplace different. So, the place where you go needs to be determined. Needs to be determined. And you still have time. And I think that's something precious that no one can store up. You cannot put a little away for safekeeping. You've been given your allotment of time. Use your time wisely. Ephesians 5.16 says this, Redeem the time, for the days are evil. And might I say this, let me just... Let this resonate through your, through your minds. Don't waste your life. You've been given a gift, a precious gift of life. Don't waste your life. Living for yourself, doing your own thing, going your own way. You've been called to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in this culture. Every job that a Christian has, you are to be the best example within that profession. The best teacher, the best plumber, you know the whole thing that I've said multiple times. The best at everything. You're representing someone that is greater than you. You, you have been given an allotment of time. Use it wisely. Chuck, Chuck Swindoll gives five sure ways to waste your time. Watch this. He says if you want to really, really waste your time, worry a lot. Worry a lot. Start worrying in the morning. Intensify your anxiety as the day passes. That's a great way to waste your time. Just, just live with constant fear and worry. How about this one? A way to waste your time. Make hard, fast predictions. That's a waste of time. The Lions will win the Super Bowl this year. Have you heard any prophets coming out saying that? I haven't heard any. 
okay? Or the rapture is going to happen on this date or something like that. That's a waste of time, folks. That's a waste of time. Fix your intention on getting rich. Now, let me say this. Everybody wants to have something, you know, the neighbor's got this. We all covet. Want this. I, I like that car. I like that house. I wish I had. Oh, their shower. Did you see their shower? It was so nice. Oh, honey, it's got nice doors on it. And they have showers coming from both sides. Oh, you can covet a shower, you know, because it just blasts you. And it's so, so nice and wonderful. Guess what? Rich people are depressed. Rich people are disillusioned, just as the poor. Just as the poor. And then compare yourself with others. That's a great time waster. And then Swindoll gives this example. Compare yourself with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. And then he says this. Lengthen your list of enemies. Quote, really focus your energies on those who really bug you or those who hurt you. Really focus on them. Really let that just consume your life. Perfect the blame game. Point the finger at everybody else as to why I'm where I'm at. This will really waste your time. Put them all together and you have wasted a life. Don't waste your life. C.T. Studd. Now, you guys don't know who he is. He was a missionary. Lived from 1860 to 1931. He was in China, India, and Africa. He said this, One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We were never meant for this world. Never meant for this world, folks. This world is not our home. You know you're aliens and strangers. You know you're uncomfortable here. But folks, you have been placed for this time to be the best ambassador for Christ that you can possibly be. Don't waste your life. Watch and be ready, folks, and warn. The world will think you are a looney tune. In the early 1900s, listen to this. C.T. Studd said this. Early 1900s, which we thought that was really the Christian era. Okay? Remember, he died in 1931. So before that, he says, God's real people have always been called fanatics. You think that they didn't think Peter was a fanatic? James wasn't a fanatic? They thought everyone was, were fanatics. The persecuted, and when Rome was slaughtering people in the church of Smyrna age, when those ten Neros came to power, and they slaughtered all those Christians, they thought those Christians were just fanatically crazy people. That's what they thought. And folks, when they think you're a fanatic, you're in good company. When the world thinks that you're a fanatic, say, yes, I am. I'm a fanatic for the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't be a better fanatic than it was for him. It's good to spend your time on what God calls great and the world says is a fanatic. Don't waste your life. I'm going to give you one last quote here. This guy's name is Michael Hudman. I would venture to say nobody knows that name in this room. Maybe somebody might pop up and say, I know him, I know him. But I bet you'll know him more when I say what he's, what he's famous for. He's the guy that started gotquestions.org. You have a Bible question? Michael Hudeman started that. He says this, James 4.14 reminds us that our earthly lives are no more than a fog that appears and then quickly evaporates. Isn't that the truth? Our money possessions will be given to somebody else. Truth. Our jobs will be filled by somebody else. Folks, you think you're, you're irreplaceable at your job. You are not. You are not. Our families may remember us with fondness, and 
will move on with their lives when we move on. That's the truth. That's the truth. In one generation, you're just a little foggy memory of some grandparent or great-grandparent or triple-triple grandparent someplace. You know, all that matters, all that remains, he says, of our lives on earth is that we have invested in eternity. In the end, all that matters is what, did you, what you did do or not do to redeem the time. Have you lived here all out for the Lord Jesus or not? That is what he's asking here. Have you spent your life? Are you the best at whatever you do for his honor and for his glory? And I'll tell you, I love, okay, the lions are playing today. And I'm going for the lions, okay? And we're going for, I hope they go to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they will, of course, but I want them to win. But I'll tell you, the Detroit Lions had a player years ago, you know who I'm going to talk about, Barry Sanders. And I'm telling you, this guy, I think, was the greatest running. You, how could anybody gain those many yards with that line that he had? There's nobody could have done that. Jim Brown, all the nobody could do what Barry Sanders did with that line. Give me a break. I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> I had a point. But Barry Sanders gave the glory to God. That's the point. He was the best at what he did. And you want to be the best at what you do for the God's glory. We represent him. We represent him here. Psalm 144 says this, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And James 4.14, you've already heard, life is a vapor, here for a moment and gone. Oh, invest your life in the things of value. Be the best person you can be for the king. And folks, it's almost the midnight hour. Look at somebody in this room or somebody that's hearing me today, this is their midnight hour. They will be passing here, had no idea that that was going to happen. No idea that that was their time, but it came. It's almost the midnight hour, and there's, I want to leave you with this last slide. Time, use it wisely. You have the watch piece there. It's ticking, it's ticking, it's ticking. It's closer to the midnight hour. He's going to come for his church, or he's going to come for you individually. Watch, be ready, warn, and by all means, use your time wisely. It is a gift that God has given to you that you can never take back the moments you frittered away. Don't fritter away your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the time that you have given us on this earth to live for you, to honor you with our lives to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I pray right now, if someone here does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they say, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I place my trust in him. I ask you, Father, to search each heart. For those who are pretenders, may they become real. For those who are real and look like pretenders, may they start to look real. And Lord, may we serve you with fervor while we are here. Again, thank you for this time that we can learn from you, our God, things that you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen.